Let's go. Let's talk. You ready? Yep. Dude, Black Panther was so good. <laughs> I, I want to start there, seriously. All right, Kyle. So I was definitely surprised when you said that you've never seen Black Panther. Um, and I know how you feel internally about black people, so <laughs> I didn't question it. But I wanted to question it because I... I'm like, have you not seen Black Panther? But then you said you don't watch any Marvel or any comic book uh, movies, and I'm a big comic book fan. So, I, I, it was he was like a he was like a, a pseudo black hero that came out of the ground that we did not, nobody knew how great Black Panther would be uh, for not just America but all around the world because it was like a first representative as a black superhero that we've seen, and and then now he's gone. Well, hold, but here's the thing though, like, and I said this, and luckily. And I really wish we had just had the foresight to get an extra microphone for today, because our, our boy Julian Council's roaming around in the background right now. He can share. And he can share the mic with you. First of all, he kind of saved me a little bit, but I'll get to that in a second. Like, because you're right, I feel like I'm getting some some side eye from some people or from some judgment from some people because I hadn't seen Black Panther until today. I got to like Julian was like, I haven't seen it either. So <laughs> I was like, Thank you, dude, because the thing is, it had I loved. Chadwick Boseman in in 42 loved mm -hmm. him in the Express I mean he that dude I know we'll get to that but like I, just, I don't have a, like I don't like the Iron Man's the Spider-Man's the Avengers like it's never been my thing so I just didn't watch it but I'm telling you I literally wrapped it up before I got in the truck and drove over here it's incredible I know you texted me early and you're right because for as disappointed I was in you for not seeing Black Panther I, I looked at Julian like are you kidding me <laughs> Really, <laughs> it was even worse, <laughs> but <laughs> but <laughs> it is what it is, and I'm just happy that you have seen it and how great you raved about it. You're like, dude, this movie. 45 minutes in, you were texting me like, dude, this movie is awesome. Yes, like, this is absolutely amazing. It was brilliantly written, like the yeah. whole, the, the, just the entire setting of Wakanda. It was just the 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 action, the the technological advancements, mm -hmm. the the dialogue. I mean, the the villains. Michael B. Jordan is a villain. I didn't. I yeah. mean, that was just. Awesome. Oh, uh, he was really good. He was uh, one of the better villains you'll see. The only thing that kind of throws it off is that he really doesn't have any superpower besides being a, a, a black man in America that grows up without a father and who's went through real struggles in life. And I'm like, that was... Didn't you think at the end that like T'Challa was going to bring him back using the technology? I, I thought he was going to. I was hoping that they wouldn't just like take over like that and, and do everything, but I, I like black Black Panther overall. I thought it was a great movie. I was waiting for part two, part three. I wanted to see how they were going to continue to build off this whole Marvel series. And now I have no idea what they're going to do. Are they going to say that T'Challa kind of died and now he's passing it on to somebody else? Because that's what it really is, is that's how it goes in the whole Black Panthers. The person that's supposed to just look after Wakanda. He's usually the king of Wakanda. Now he's chosen to look after it. So um, it's going to be unique. Uh, the same way they did with uh, Fast and the Furious with Paul Walker. Are they going to have to try and yeah. blend it in in some kind of fashion? Man, I don't know. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see the Fast and the Furious turn going there, no pun intended. <laughs> but, like, for real, though, the, the way they set that up and the, the twist and the turns that the story took, and, you know, when, when, and, and I don't think – we're too far gone for spoilers and stuff, right? Like, I'm not going to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah, yeah, no, no, they've all seen them. All right, because I'm probably – we're the spoiling this for Julian right now, but, like – <laughs> it came out three years. Okay, fair enough. It came out like two or three years ago, so we're good. But like, no, the the way that you know he he gets thrown off the waterfall, you know, and everybody assumes that he's dead, and then uh, they they find him and he's on the snow when he's in the coma. Like, I don't know. It was just really well done. So now I now I'm sitting here wondering, do I have to go back and give all of these Marvel movies a chance now? I think you should go. Well, some of them are good. Yeah. Not all of them are great. Not all of them? No, not all of them okay. are great. I don't, Doctor, I, St Doctor Strange is, like, way weird. Okay, so don't even mess with it. Don't, please don't watch Doctor Strange. Okay. That was a terrible one. <laughs> uh, Ant-Man. Ant-Man's pretty good. Um, Thor Ragnarok is really good. So don't worry about the other first Thors. Thor Ragnarok is a Marvel movie? Yes, Thor Ragnarok is really good, too. I think I just, in my head, that sounded like a children's show, so I just didn't even, I didn't even know what that was. Yep, uh, Captain America Civil War, okay. really good, because that's him and Iron Man, and then they bring in a whole bunch of other people. Um, Iron Man 2 is probably my favorite Iron Man. Iron Man 1 is kind of, eh, it's all right. It's very slow. It just takes a long time to get to, like, ah, oh, Tony Stark is Iron Man. It just takes a long time to get to that point. Iron Man 2 is awesome. Um, what's another one? Ant-Man 2, Ant-Man and Wasp. That's a pretty good one because okay, it's so very it funny. It sounds like you're naming most of these movies that are good, though. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're almost saying, like, I don't need to go back and watch them, but then you keep listing off movies that are really good. But they made a lot of good Marvels. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> yeah, Spider-Man: Homecoming. So maybe Spider-Man's okay, good there's too. There's more. So maybe I do need to go back and watch more of these. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. the Winter Soldier one. Oh yeah, the Winter Soldier. Yeah, is okay. Really, yeah. And then we the, somebody Captain like in, I heard I saw somebody tweeting this morning that in Endgame when the Black Panther shows up, like all the theaters across the country erupted. Oh, they went crazy. Yes, they did. Is yes, that what did. happened? Okay. I was in the theater when that happened. Really? Okay. Like, Everybody erupted. So this man's in the theater for all these. He's, he's like, no, nah, I don't think you need to watch them all. But here's these dozens of movies that are awesome that you probably should watch. Well, and my my wife is, like, addicted to all these movies. Okay. So once she, like, buys in, then we have no choice. As a family, like, she, like, had the tickets purchased for uh, the end game. Like, the, the moment it came out, you can only, like, purchase online. We sat front row of, like, some podunk movie theater just to be able to get in. Man. First day. Because she didn't want to be... She didn't want to wake up to all the spoilers. Huh. So is that your is that your favorite thing? Is that your favorite movie that Chadwick Boseman ever did? Is is that the best thing he's done? Uh I don't know if it's the best thing he's ever done. I haven't seen The Five Bloods. I would like to see that one. Yeah, I still haven't seen all I of his movies. So I want to see that one. But uh, for me, the most impactful is definitely gonna be 42 and uh Black Panther because of who he represents. And I did not know it was gonna be that moving to where Marvel has its first all black cast and yeah. the 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 power that it showed the that what Africa really could be like the original great kingdom of Wakanda has all this money it's the you know if you don't know Marvel really that well um, Black Panther is the richest person in Marvel comic books in the Marvel world he's the richest person because of the vibranium that he has that Wakanda naturally grows there. So. Now, which one, again, which one is it that, because I, I didn't know the story. I, all these stories are coming out now. Yeah, yeah, gone, yeah. But, like, <laughs> but, but no, what I'm saying is the, the story about uh, Denzel Washington uh, paying oh, for yeah. him and all those young actors to go to Oxford. And do, and so then I see that, uh, what, Denzel produced his final movie that's supposed to come out later this year, I think. Is that right? Oh, I did not know that. But yeah, yeah. I, I think I read that this morning. So I'm trying to, I'm like, I'm looking on IMDb as we're talking about this, trying to figure out exactly, I don't know if it's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, if it's Yasuke, I don't know which what it is do we know I, I have no idea so the, the crazy thing that I, i'm looking right now it just really kind of how everything kind of falls into place now that you're looking at it from a clear lens and that in the fact of uh chadwick boseman really didn't come out and tell people way back when about denzel paying for his school he didn't know and, right well i don't think he knew and then now he's like been very vocal about this the last couple years and being very thankful to denzel while nobody on the outside knew that he was really sick yeah and maybe that is why he started to open up. He didn't want to embarrass Denzel or put him out there on Front Street, but now he wanted to make sure everybody knew about it. And I, it just totally shocked me when my brother called me and texted us that Chadwick Boseman, like Black Panther, died. And I was, I was like, did he die in a car wreck or was it something tragic? And to hear that it was colon cancer and that he had had this, been battling with this for the last four and a half years probably, it was just heartbreaking because, you know, you noticed that he looked a little bit skinnier, but you just thought he was, you know, just doing his movie roles. A lot of these actors gain weight, lose weight. That's what they kind of do to continue oh, yeah. to play these roles. And not knowing that he was really struggling from a, a sickness and a bad disease. Yeah, I think it was because I, I saw that this morning that uh, there were a couple of people that tweeted, hey, he'd done some Instagram lives and things like that. And people were actually really nasty to him because of the weight loss and things right, like that right. because he hadn't shared it. And so they're thinking that. I, and, and some of it was like joking, you know, right. I think some of it was, hey, Black Panther's lost his armor and things like that. But like they didn't know what was behind it. And to your point, yeah, like Edward Norton, well, I think the movie was The Pianist where he shrunk down to like 95 pounds to play that role. I believe something like that. It was disgusting. I mean, I think Christian Bale's done that before. Mm -hmm. um, who is uh, I'm drawing a blank uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. It'll come to me in just a second. But I mean, there have been some actors, obviously, a lot of those really committed actors you know that will go through that sort of dramatic weight loss weight gain and, and it's that's brutal for your body it, it can be healthy but they all do it and it it doesn't all most of these actors are not really big people anyways no so for them to lose weight gain weight the way the, the power of the camera is amazing so yeah, like if, if you meet your favorite actor there's a decent chance he's under five seven you know this <laughs> there's a decent chance that's true i was thinking of uh, benicio del toro by the way but okay i mean to what to what you said about africa though and, and like discovering africa and you know everything that's possible that made me think of of masai ujiri mm -hmm. and you know, the uh, the president of operations basketball operations for the the raptors raptors yeah and and what he's doing because i was reading a story I, I forget which outlet it was it might have been sports illustrated or one of those that wrote this really in-depth profile piece of him that came out last year about how he's essentially setting up basketball academies all over Africa. Mm -hmm. You know, it started where he's from, but, you know, he's, he looks at it in a positive way 
as you know, mining one of the many resources of Africa, and that is you know, the athletes in that country, that, that he can help to use basketball to leverage that and give them opportunities. Well, and I think amazing. Pascal Siakam was found he was. in one of those right. type camps. Yeah, right? that was part of the story. Right, right. and I, I think the, who was the older player that started it first, and then Pascal came through that same I don't recall. Camp. It was somebody like I, I gotta I wish I had my computer in front of me, but I always just go off the top of my head, so it is what it is. How about but, that video though? I not to, to make it in a hard turn, but like how about the video of that, that, that security officer at Oracle Arena with Messiah Jury, the body cam. His the, the evidence was on him the entire time. <laughs> it was unbelievable. It, I mean he not really but. obviously the security guard was angry. They he was mad that they lost. Right. I, <laughs> There's still no I excuse. Mean, come on. There's still no excuse. Oh no, excuse. I know. I I'm, I'm just I'm watching that like First but, of all, he's Messiah Jerry might be the best executive in basketball, but the greatest night of his professional career. He's getting harassed. He's getting harassed and is, is stained because, you know, look. And he's like, he's showing him all his credentials, too. Well, like the very <laughs> worst thing he did that night was not pull out his credential fast enough. And then when, still, when it came out, the dude shoved him again. Uh, and, and like, it's the greatest night of his professional life. And this security officer, who also happens to be, what, a San Francisco, uh, I think he's a deputy sheriff, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, he's working security that night. He has the audacity to sue Masai Ujiri after all that happened. Oh, I didn't know he and, tried to sue him. Oh, yeah. And, and Ujiri, there's a countersuit now, I think, against the individual and possibly, I don't want to say that a police department specifically, because I think that's a different dynamic when they contract out work to the teams. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, no, they countersued, as they should have. The body, I mean, he provided the evidence that he was in the wrong and then had the audacity to sue him anyway. It's amazing what people think that they can get away with yeah. when nobody's looking. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy the body cam was on, and I'm just happy for Toronto. Toronto and what uh, this GM, I, I don't want to mispronounce, mis, mis, mispronounce his name. I'm not going to get it right. But um, all that he's been able to accomplish for Toronto, yeah. continue to build this team. All right, the way that they've done it, the things that they fight for too, because they are one of the staying, the one of the most outspoken teams when it comes to social injustices and all these other things. Having a, a black GM and also all the players on that team that, and they're not even in America. All right, they are Toronto-based team that had their bus down in Orlando that had all these the all these uh, these sayings and things like that on it. So I, I've really been. Uh, proud of him and everything that they've been able to build in Toronto. I think they're going to be right there in the Eastern Conference Finals again this year. What did you think about uh, the decision to boycott the NBA playoffs? So, and, and by, so how, how do you feel first and foremost? I mean, I, I don't think it matters to the overall conversation first and foremost, but mm -hmm. like even calling it a boycott has become a topic of conversation because it's really a strike. It's really a strike, right? right. <laughs> so again, I, I think some people think that if you bring that up, it's because you're attacking the players. It's no, it's what even makes it more interesting about this is that you're, it's not a boycott because you're, you you can't boycott your own product. Right. It's a wildcat strike. You know, it's a strike without union approval. They just walked off the job. Literally. And the Bucks called everybody off guard. Yeah. So then everybody else was kind of wrangling, you know, wrangling after all that, just trying to catch up to speed with everything that they had going on. Um, I thought it was a, a bold move. I was I applaud them because, you know, everybody in America, we continue to watch sports. We continue to not look, you know, kind of overlook everything that's really going on, the issues that – people have been marching in the streets for the last three months about all right is you know the killing of black people by police officers and how we treat people the social inequalities that we have in this country let's talk about this let's actually discuss about changes that we need to implement and whether they have happen immediately or not at least having this discussion to say hey we are working towards giving you guys a solution so you feel at peace about where and in the direction our country is heading uh, it, we have not addressed that, and I think that's what the NBA is saying. And they had a lot of these – a lot of the players, Kyrie, for as much as everybody talks about he's off the wall or whatever, that is what he was talking about. If we go back into this bubble and start playing, we're no longer – we're not able to use our voice in, that, in, those, in, this, in this realm. And, and for now, for these guys to step away, I was – the biggest question I had was, what is their end goal by, yep. by striking? And when I brought that up to somebody, my father-in-law uh, said something amazing to me. He said, you know, Roman, I've heard that before, too, but Harriet Tubman, Harriet Tubman, when she started the Underground Railroad, she didn't have an end game. She didn't have a plan. These things just kind of happen and evolve over time. Yeah. Like, you just have a feeling that you're called to action, and you just got to do something. You got to stand up for something that's bigger than yourself, and you're, you just go. And I, I applaud these players because that's what they did. And nobody knew what was going to happen after it. But every other team canceled. 
not only that, but NHL canceled. College players walked out of practice. This was like, it really happened. It was a real movement, and everybody was like, okay, all right, I'm not going to continue to sit up here and just be an athlete, and you tell me that I just need to play or stay out of this. Like, I want you to look at me as more than just an athlete because once I'm out of this jersey, I am just like a, a normal black person in this country that is subject to who knows what kind of treatment if we don't at least address these issues to what people have been talking and marching about the last couple months. I think it's interesting. Uh, well, on a lot of levels, but like when what you said a minute ago about uh, you know, being seen as more than an entertainer, which is something I've heard a lot about. Mm -hmm. First of all, what came out of it, because I was on the air live, uh, I guess Friday, whenever people hear this, but like the Friday that the announcement came out, I was live on the air when uh, it, it became news that the uh, the owners across the NBA would be converting all remaining arenas into voting stations for the general election in November, and the oh really oh yeah yeah the advertisements that are going to be promoting civic awareness and engagement and. Uh, kind of like the players' coalition, coalition in the NFL, they're doing something similar in the NBA. So there's a, that's what they leverage that work stoppage into, and I absolutely applaud them for that because mm -hmm. I think I mean that's that is a power move in and of itself. And I think the fact that like Michael Jordan's voice was so prominent in those discussions mm -hmm. obviously paved the way for probably some some more success than might have otherwise existed. I'm also glad, and I like some people disagree with me on this, but and I'm curious to know what you think. I'm also very glad they decided to go back and play. And it's, be mm -hmm. and it's because, you know, like you said, the Kyrie and others were kind of questioning this in the beginning. And I understand there's some there's very real isolation that they probably feel down in Orlando. Mm -hmm. My point was, you know, use this to get more of what you want and what you think can pave the way for greater gains. But don't abandon the platform that's allowed you to have this voice right. to begin with. And Draymond Green made the same case. Uh, I think on Instagram the other day, and I don't always agree with Draymond, but I mean, I thought he was, you know, very thoughtful in that sense. And others too, like before they even started playing in the bubble, when Kyrie was questioning it, guys like Austin Rivers were like, "Hey, this is how we, you know, make a lot of money and reach people the way that we reach." Right. And right. you know, I, I think it was a very smart tr strategic move because. Did you hear Bruce Arian said about? Oh, I know, love BA about, about protesting doesn't oh, he, do crap. Is yeah, that what he, he said you do something. He said because right. whether it's with your money, your time, yeah. whatever. Because he said I've been watching people march since the '60s, yep. and I don't see nothing change. So I want you to do it, and that's that speaks volume of of BA as a coach, as a person, as a man. Because you look at his coaching staff, he's not one of those guys that's just talking. Yeah. He's got a whole bunch of black coaches. He's got you know a black offensive coordinator, a black. Uh, quarterbacks coach. I think all four of his top assistants are black. Right. Yeah. Like he, he talks to talk and walks the walk and he has females on his staff as well. So he wants to spread the love of this whole coaching environment. And so it's not just words to him. So I applaud Bruce for that, man. I, I played in his golf tournament. I know him a little bit personally. He's a heck of a guy. Well, you know, what's interesting though, too, about that is that when he said that, um, you know, Demora Smith, sends out that tweet with photos of Martin Luther King Jr. and of John Lewis side by side and said essentially, look, I respectfully disagree. You know, that, that protest doesn't do crap. Uh, but at the same time, I think... Nobody even likes D. Maurice. Well, that's, that's a different conversation, I think. But at the same time, like, I, I understand what he's saying. Collective action, the mobilization of, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. No one's ignoring that as being effective and certainly that it has been in the past. You know, but even during that time when, you know, MLK was leading peaceful protests and when John Lewis walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and, you know, the, all the struggle that happened, it was a different world then, too. You know, they didn't mm -hmm. they weren't battling Citizens United that's allowing for billionaires to buy elections. Right. I mean, <laughs> we live in a capitalistic society. Yeah. You don't give up your economic power. It's the, I mean, right or wrong, whether you like it or not, it's the most important thing you have when you live in a capitalistic society. And it's why I didn't want the players to walk off and not play anymore, yeah. because you cannot be as effective sending out Instagram posts as you can hitting a game-winning shot with, with Breonna Taylor's name on the back of your jersey. Man, preaching, Kyle. I, so that's, that's why I didn't get it personally. Because, again, it's not the, the boycott was effective, I think, because it was short-term, and they leveraged some things that they got out of it. Oh, yeah, it worked. But like if, when you hit that game-winner and you go to the post-game press conference, don't take basketball questions. Talk about you know, what's happening out there in the streets. Mm -hmm. Continue the conversation. Because if we're being honest, outside of LeBron James and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, most of these guys don't have name recognition like that. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to ignore Devin Booker posting on Instagram if you really don't know who he is. You know, and, and so you lose that voice and some of that messaging and some of that power. But, man, it's, 
you know, the NBA has now twice in one of the mo- probably the most chaotic year of my life. The NBA has twice arguably made the biggest headlines of the year. The NBA is passing up so many other sports. And I give Adam Silver players like LeBron James, who's, you know, I mean, whether or not he's the pseudo, he is the king of that whole group, him and Chris Paul and those guys. I applaud them for the moves that they've been making. They have made all the right moves. They are the first sports to say that they're getting it right with this whole bubble thing. We're going to protect the players. Yeah. Adam Silver and those guys mobilizing can continue to move in the right direction and being able to accomplish all these things and allowing their players to use their platforms, their voices, to speak out about these things. And, you know, you've seen different takes and different interviews from the NBA bubble throughout this whole process that's been very powerful and moving. All right, when you have Doc Rivers speak out about, you know, the killing of of, of black and pe- black people in this country, how, you know, we love this country and the country's not loving us back. Uh, those are very powerful words when that comes from him. Um, you look at all the things that LeBron continues to harp on every day, every time he gets out there, the different clothing that these NBA players are wearing. I, I really applaud them, and I just wish other sports would continue to push it, push it that way. I really like what the NHL is doing, too. I applaud them, too, because that is not naturally known as a sport that is – very, um, very diverse in background a lot of times. But for them to really start stepping up and saying that we want to change, that we will be better, that we understand what people are looking at us and thinking about us, that this is the time for change. I've really applauded all these sports that are really starting to step out and speak out about these things because they want to be on the right side of history. All right. When we look back on it, we're going to say we applaud all these sports because they were on the right side of history for making the right decisions. We look back in history and we look at Martin Luther King when he was marching with John Lewis and all these. I just hate always referencing them because they hated him when he was alive. Oh, yeah. And they killed him. Well, I'm like, like, so we sit up here and we give Martin Luther King and everything that he did, all this glory now. But when he was alive, that's what bothers me when people bring it up because I'm like, they hated him. And he was the most hated person in America when he was doing this. And that's how change always comes, grudgingly. And a lot of people are angry, and nobody wants to change. People in power don't ever want to give up their power. Why did, why did they right. ever want to give up power? Right. So why do they want change? Because they're good and comfortable. But uh, once you get uncomfortable, that is when change happens. I applaud NASCAR. They were the first ones to yep. really start speaking out. All right, And they only got one guy that really represents them, and Bubba Wallace. But yep. he will continue to fight, and we all applaud him for that. So all these other sports, uh, bravo to you. 2020, for as crazy and as bad as it's been, we've seen a lot of great positives. And I think a lot of these sports teams and organizations, and they're going to be on the, the right side of history when you look back on it. I, th- I think so. I do. And, and to your point about MLK, like I, I didn't realize this until not that long ago, but I think um, I, I believe my, my memory's right on this. I think the year that he was assassinated, I think his favorability rating, or his, I'm sorry, his unfavorability rating in America was like 62%. <laughs> he was not a popular man among the no. masses back then. Like no. he was more, much more controversial than people realize. Mm-hmm. You know, but as we look back, as you said, through the scope of history. And Malcolm history, X was probably even worse than oh, that. by far. But th- during that time, absolutely. Yeah. And, but as we look back through the scope of history, we understand that you started to see a lot of those principles and philosophies, you know, human rights and basic decency. Right. You know, we turned a corner. Now, that, that's why... That's why I think the conversation, not to get too philosophical or deep about it, but that's why I think the conversation is so difficult to have with a certain faction of, you know, people who look like me especially. Right, right, because right. They, they, it's uncomfortable because they either have struggled a lot themselves mm-hmm. throughout life. And, you know, like you and I talked about on the last episode, people only have so many, pardon my language, fucks to give. Yep. You know, you, when we all experience things, trials and tribulations in our life, death, loss, misfortune, you know, all that stuff. You do truly, unless you're a special kind of person with the capability to care for others like Mother Teresa has, we all reach a point where it's like, I I can't take any more in, even if you'd want to. And I think there's some component of that. I also think there's some hateful people in the world that don't want to listen to reason or or have any conversation about decency. And it's it's like the whole systemic racism argument. I think most people in America can be in that lane, that wide center, center lane where most of us exist and say, you know what? Depending on who you ask, they'll they'll acknowledge there's at least some level of systemic racism that still exists today. But Mm -hmm. people who completely refuse to acknowledge that it still exists are a total mystery to me (laughs) because it's such basic common sense. You know, like that when when the Civil War ended. Right. And when everything was started to like when everything was burning and we started to put the pieces back together again. Who do you think became politicians and police chiefs and superintendents of schools and, you know, 
former Confederate soldiers and, you know, the, the descendants of Confederate soldiers, you know, with those lingering sentiments and feelings and like those things permeated society still for decades after that, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, redlining or policing or whatever, these things aren't super difficult concepts to grasp if you're just willing to give some time and think about it. But it's difficult for people who are in the midst of real struggle themselves to to dig down, I think, sometimes and, and think about those things. It really isn't, you know, as a as a former athlete, the thing that worries me or really makes me have to take a step back sometimes is how quick some people are to use the terms as you should be thankful for all the things that you have or like I didn't work for what right. I have the same way that you work for anything. Like, right. Because I'm I'm in a world now in a society or in America now where black people are actually allowed to have certain things. And they're like, you should be thankful. You didn't have to. But and I'm like, yes, that like. But it's, it's, a, it's the same polarization and tribalism that we see in the politics today, too. Mm-hmm. It's. They, they get so upset about it that they revert to refusing that any of it exists at all. No one, I mean, no reasonable, rational person, I don't think, is saying that we haven't made progress with race relations and, 100%. and racism. We clearly have. I mean, before, I'm, I'm almost 99.9% sure that right before John Lewis died, he said, for the first time in my life, I think we're going to get there. I'm pretty sure he said that maybe weeks before he died in a public, uh, public interview that he did. Mm-hmm. We've made progress. We just haven't finished the job. Yep. And we got to finish the job. Yep. That, that's what we have to do. We do. We do. And we need to clean up our police forces. And look, oh, yeah. every and it's just crazy because everybody wants to, you know, nobody wants to talk about defunding. We love our police. We love feeling safe. They are the, the reason why everybody loves America is because you have the land of opportunity and people abide by rules and laws here that you can call somebody if something's going on and police will come help you. It's not a ragtag like a lawless place, right? And we do have lawlessness in our country still, and we have to continue to clean those things up so we can look, and we just want to be treated fair. That's it. Everybody just wants to be fair, all right? The same way when me and you line up and run a 40, all right, you want it to be a fair race. I'm going to smoke you. Sure. (laughs) I just want it to be fair. (laughs) Dude, I started to line up and run a 40 like a month ago, and I was like, yeah, that's not good for my mental health right now. I don't even need to see what that. Where were you at in like. Freedom Park? Huh? Yeah, you're in Freedom Park at the I, forty. I thought about walking it off and having Camille time, and I was like, you know what? I don't need that kind of. I don't need that weighing on my mind right I now. I think. But I don't break I think six. more people should run forties. <laughs> I think more po- people should run a forty. As a matter of fact, Kyle, we should go into this. More people should run forties because a lot of people think they are way better than what they are. Oh yeah. And a lot faster than what they are. Especially, I'm amazed at how many people were decent athletes in high school, and they meet somebody like me. And that's the first thing they bring up is like, you know, what they did in high school. And, you know, I just had a little injury and, mm. you know, blah, oh. blah. But I was so fast and this, this. And I bet you do meet a bunch of Uncle Ricos. <laughs> I bet you meet a ton of them. You know what? And the worst part is like when they're my Uncle Rico. Like I had my uncle call me the other day and I applaud him for always like, you know, backing me and supporting me and my family. But when they call me and tell me about, you know, my style or like what they would do, or that how I need to try and implement some of the things that they <laughs> that they used to do. It's just really weird and um, very intriguing. I, I'm like, you've never, I've never taken advice from you a day of my life. And it is funny how that works. <laughs> and like, at age 37, I start now. What is the fastest 40 you ever ran? Fastest 40 I ever ran was uh, 4.47, I believe, uh, and that was at my pro day. I ran a 5.19 my senior year of high school and thought I was so fast. Five one nine. <laughs> Kyle, I, I think I'm like a whole 10 yards ahead of you. You are, but you know what's even funnier about that? You know what's even funnier about that? I hope he hears this. Josh Parcell, right? So Josh works with us at WFNZ. I know Josh. So, so Josh is an Orange, Orange Theory fitness coach, all this stuff. He's in good shape. Jo- Julian can attest to this. Josh lined up to run the 40 like a year ago. He didn't break six. How are you that slow? He did not break six. There's video evidence of him not unable to break six at the. Now, of course, I say that I don't know that I could break six at the moment. (laughs) All my fast twitch muscles are gone right now. All I'm saying is like the dude. He's he's an Orange Theory fitness coach, and he lined up and didn't break six. So people don't realize, you know, just how fast a four four forty is. I feel like I could. I I feel like I could break a six like running backwards. Well, you probably could. Like I I feel like. I'd be almost offended if I didn't break a six running backwards in a sense. Right. 
No, like I, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'm probably slandering him, and I should probably double check my work on that. No, no, pr- don't don't sacrifice a good story for the truth. I'm, all right, I'm pretty sure that a, he didn't break a, a six. Six is really bad. And, it's, and it's Josh, Josh is a skinny guy that's pretty tall. You think he'd have a stride on him? Yeah, that he would be able to do that. And he prides himself on how good of shape he is. But now that I know that he ran, he is not below a, a sub six forty. I mean, I'm going to call him out next time I see him. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, but anyway, getting back to the point <laughs> originally. Awful. No, I'm with you. It's, uh, I, I've, and I keep saying this too, I've never seen sports this politically charged in my lifetime, ever. Well, and so the other thing is everybody's like, all right, well, keep, keep sports out of politics. Keep politics out of sports. But what happens when politics keeps grabbing at sports players or sports faces that we're used to seeing when it, when it drives their narrative home? I, I, I mean, because we, we do have, and I think to some extent we've always had politicians that would leverage sports to score political points. Or well, you think a presidential inv- race exact probably plays into all Oh, that absolutely. Movement. But, and especially now. Especially, mm-hmm. and, and <laughs> you know, we, we just didn't see this growing up. You know, we saw it in a much more, oh, I don't know, um, with much more etiquette involved. I'll put it that way. You know, we, <laughs> yeah. we saw it with a lot more etiquette involved, right? Not, not calling... You know, and it, I, people that listen to us will probably get their feelings hurt about this. Not calling professional football players sons of bitches. You know, not uh, you know d- d- tweeting about how college he, college football has to start right now and everything mm-hmm. else. We've just never seen it quite this consistently interwoven, right? We can go to Muhammad Ali, right, and we can go to Jim Brown and to Bill Russell. We can go to Jackie Robinson. We can go to Jesse Owens. I and mean, there, there are a lot of places throughout history we could go to the intersection of sports and politics. But it, the, the everyday political discourse didn't exist within the realm of sports the way that it does today, you know, where people are, are refusing to watch a league or refusing to watch a player because they don't agree with them politically. I mean, there are people, yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> there are people, you know, who have, I think, publicly quit the NBA and NFL about 12 times in the past four years. There my were, brother was one of them. So my brother, really, the one that's right here in the room with us, uh-huh. he stopped watching NFL. Because they didn't support Colin Kaepernick. Ah. And he said, you know what? I'm done with the NFL. A lot of people felt like and that. And also, you also had people on the other side that supposedly stopped watching it, too, because of what Colin did, right? Who do you think? Where, where, which side had more? What do you think? Because I think that on your brother's side, I think they're, that faction of people actually didn't get enough attention. Because I feel like <laughs> a lot of people were like, you know what? The hell with this. If they can't even support it or you know, at least push back a little bit against the messaging coming from the White House and defend their own guys, then why would I support the league? I think there were more people like that than, than a lot of folks realized. Yeah, and he held on for a while. He wouldn't want us to talk about it, and he's a big Saints fan, so he was like, I don't need to hear these things. He'd be angry, and he's like, I'm done with it. I'm really done. And he lasted about a month and a half, like a month and a half into the season. He really did. He, he went pretty good and longer than I thought he could. And then he just started saying, like, man, if we don't even care about our own, why, why should I care? Like, Nobody else is standing up for Colin. Why do I need to sacrifice my good time and what I'm doing on the weekends for when I enjoy football? I'm just doing it because I'm trying to be about the cause. And the people the closest to the cause, they're not even caring. So what am I doing? Why am I sacrificing for myself when nobody's really going to notice when I'm one person that cuts off, right? I cut off the TV, and I don't feel like my voice is being heard. So now – I might as well enjoy myself and at least watch my Saints. So I, he came back after like six or seven weeks. The, the thing – see, that, that's one with the, the kneeling where I can just simply look at that and say it was never about the flag, it was mm-hmm. never about the military, and anybody who insisted on making it about that either just didn't want to hear the conversation or was too angry to participate in the conversation, mm-hmm. never cared to begin with, and you're not going to reach them that way. Right. You know, but fast forward a couple of years now, and the controversy is not about a peaceful protest – during the national anthem, now it's again about uh, a black man being shot by police, and it's the talk of the entire country and in, lo- in some places, in right. some ways, the world. And that's what Colin led off by saying. R- right, exactly. <laughs> and so what he was talking about then is under the microscope once again now, but the thing is, people are even more, it, somehow, <laughs> even more dug in and entrenched. You have millions and millions of people who watch that video of Jacob Blake be shot and say, we got to stop this. That is not okay. It's not right. There is a difference in inequality in the way that people and communities are policed across the country. Do you? Know, I mean, I know you know, but do you know how many videos of white dudes in confrontations with police that I've watched in the past five days 
that were allowed to walk away, drive away, or at least just, you know, survive. And, and I know that, and I believe this, and I think Doc Rivers underscored this point very well the other night. There are more good cops than bad. Yes, it is. It's not always about the individual. Sometimes it's about the system and the policies and the procedures that are in place that put otherwise good people in bad positions, the lack mm -hmm. of training and all. I'm not a law enforcement expert. I just try to listen to people who are. Mm -hmm. And you talked about defunding the police. I think defund, I think defund the police is one of the worst slogans I've ever heard. I have if to. you have to go to that great a length to explain your slogan, it's not a good slogan. No. Uh, second of all, I don't think – I. I don't think it's the answer. No. I think reform is absolutely what's needed. Correct, correct. But I don't think taking that money, there are lots of places you can find wasteful spending. Yep. And if you really want to look internally to police departments, you know, my personal opinion about that is why, do we, why are we spending tens of millions of dollars on tanks and, and you know, paramilitary so, gear so, and turning so, the streets so, into a battlefield? So, so that is the term that needs to be used. It's not defund. It needs to be demilitarized. But we yeah. need to demilitarize our police. Yes, I agree. All right? I agree. Demilitarize these guys because they have extra tanks laying around. So they have all these millions of dollars because of the, the what was the, the action that was passed, like, in the 90s? Um, they passed all these. So now all these police officers, they all have to be ready for like riot type stuff in every town. So they have all this money. So if you the army has an extra tank laying around and we got this money, we can just go buy a tank. And now we're ready for a riot, even though there's no reason for us to be doing this. I just think we need to demilitarize our police. And that's in mentality. Absolutely. And also in some of their actions. There, 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 there's a consultant. and His name's escaping me, but there's a, a very... Uh, well-known police consultant within the law enforcement community across the country who was kind of spotlighted for the way that he goes around the country and gives these, uh, not just these consultations, but these presentations to police about, you know, riot situations and, and how to, you know, uh, I guess operate within them. And it's a very, very battlefield mentality. And I think that's the sort of thing that, that a lot of people are examining right now. And again, I'm not trying to present myself as some sort of law enforcement professional, but uh, Jocko Willink, who is the, uh, the famous former Navy SEAL commander, does a, he's got a huge podcast. I've actually got his book in my bag. It's called Discipline Equals Freedom. You know, Jocko, is, he spent a career in the Navy SEALs, and, he's, and I listened to him talk about this. And this is an area where I think he's one of the, one of the voices we should be listening to more. He said, you know, this, these guys need more training. He yeah. said, you know, in the SEALs, we were constantly training for situations. There's a lot of situational training that went on all the time, so they were always prepared you know, for the kind of situations that they were in, and that is lacking, you know, in police forces across the country. Now, yep. I don't, you know, in big cities especially, that should never be the case. Um, and and that, that's, I feel like this is a conversation that, you know, needs to be had more because it is so often, unfortunately, reduced to police good or police bad. Yeah, you and know? It's, it's not that black and white. It's my really brother, not. My brother, the one that's in the room, actually, um, he works some security jobs and things like that, and he is a big fan of, like, they should play. They should. They should give more money to the police. They should make it more of like a special ops. I type agree. Thing. It's not Attract like we a better should, pool of candidates. Right. Not like take money away, but no, make it even more specialized. Yes. To where now they have more power. Not more power, but they are more skilled. They're more trained. They're more able to, you know, handle these certain situations, and they're looked at differently than what we do. So we almost like rebrand the whole thing. The same way Hyundai got rid of they they. They took Genesis, they took the Hyundai part off of Genesis. Yeah. All right. And now Genesis is just its own little brand. Mm -hmm. The same way you did Mercury or all these other, you just rebrand them. All right. Buick. All right. You rebrand Bu Buick. It looks a totally different car. It's not a Buick. It's a, it's whatever <laughs> it is. All right. It's just, but that's how you have to do it. You have to beauty. How about this though? I got to bring this up, Kyle, because I want to know your opinion. Brian Erlacher. Oh. Did you see? <laughs> okay, yeah. you know I'm going with this. Yeah. No, I do. All right. So Brian Erlacher the other day tweeted. So he's football's new Aubrey Huff, apparently. Oh my God, yeah. he he's Julian. Did you see what he said? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was not. He said some other things controversial. So he re retweeted this tweet, and I'll quote it. It says, "Brett Favre played the Monday Night Football game the the day his dad died, threw four touchdowns in the first half, and was a legend for playing in the face of adversity." NBA players boycott the playoffs because a dude reaching for a knife wanted on a felony sexual assault warrant was shot by the police. Oh, good God. Um, Unpack that for me, Kyle. Uh, I, I, what I don't understand 
Like, and again, I'm, I'm not, I think there will be some people that might hear this conversation as a one-off and maybe not know anything about me and think, well, listen, who's this flaming liberal, you know, which I don't really, <laughs> I don't really care, but like they might hear that. I, I don't think they necessarily will after I, they, I tell them, I don't know what that defund the police is a good idea. But what I'm getting at is this, that, that the people like Brian Urlacher are oftentimes shouting about law and order, a law and order society. Well, isn't a critical component of being a law and order society is guaranteeing a man gets his day in court? Isn't that a critical component of living in a law and order society? And, and I, I'm, I'm watching that, and I don't know what kind of guy Jacob Blake is. Yep, I don't know. I, I see criminal record. I see a warrant. You know, I'm reading a lot of things, but I don't know that man. I really don't. I don't know if he was in the midst of trying to turn his life around. I don't know if he's someone who deserves to be behind bars because I'm not there. I really don't. All I know is, just like me, he deserves his day in court mm-hmm. if he's been accused of something. And, you know, I, I'm, I do a radio show. You and I do it together on Tuesdays. I get texts from people throughout the week. You know, uh, he, he's, a, he's a sex offender. You know, he's a, he's a child rapist. And, like, is this true? So, like, I'm, I'm looking it up yesterday, and I see that, you know, third-degree sexual assault, which is what he was accused of in the state of Wisconsin, does not include felony sex with a minor. That's not a part of that statute. So, you know, where is that coming from? And, you know, again, there are other allegations against him. I'm not trying to paint him as a saint, but it's like he is entitled to that same right as everybody else. And, and even further than that, watching that sequence take place, I was talking about this with my brother last night and some friends back home, and I think I've told you. I, I did, before I left Virginia and moved to South Carolina, I'd been training uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu for almost two years. And, you know, you can walk into just about any legitimate Brazilian jiu-jitsu school across the country. There are many of them. And you could pick out three blue belts from that jiu-jitsu school that could have done a ten times better job subduing that man and keeping him on the ground than what I watched those police officers attempt to do. Mm -hmm. So because the three of them couldn't subdue him, and he was walking back to his car where his children were, and then leans into the car. Now, I don't know if he leaned into the car to grab the knife. I don't know if he leaned into the car to drive away. I suspect it was probably the latter, but I don't know that. Mm -hmm. So these people say, well, he leaned in to grab a knife. How, How does anybody know that? I don't know that. And I know damn sure that even if he was shooting him seven times in the back was not the, the appropriate response. So, I mean, if, if you don't have the stomach for that job and if you and two of your colleagues can't subdue a man, you he, don't he, need to be police officers. It was a little – thank you. I, I just – at what point is not abiding by the police officer's direct command, does that equal a death sentence? You know, that is my question. Is like – well, I see a lot of people not listen to the police or yeah. follow the law. Right. At what point does that become a death sentence? Like, allow that man to go to court. Right. Why can he not be arrested? Like, and then when you see what happens a couple days later in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where the young, uh, the 17-year-old uh, young white male. Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah. Shoots two other people. And is they driving, the police are driving to the scene. He has his hands up with a long gun, and they drive by him to, like, go mess with other people or go see what – it's just – it's very, like, man, we just want even. Just even. Just make it level playing field. And, like, how do you say that makes sense, but then the other doesn't? Or you have people standing up for the Rittenhouse kid. It was uh, – you know, Kyle, I just try and stay out of this. I like when you answer these questions because I want to put this on you. I want, you know – Every, I, want, I don't want to hear from me, right? We hear from enough of people my color and from my people about yeah, these, but see, these I, things. Yeah, but see, but there's I some people out there who you. think that I should shut up, too, and I'm fine. Like, I'm fine with that perspective if you think that that's how you think. You know, I, I do want to do more listening than talking because this is not a lived experience for me, and right. I know that. Mm-hmm. You know, but I also hear it, it's incumbent upon people who look like me to help finish this job. Yes, it is. And so I'm, 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 I'm going to give you my opinion on how I think we can eradicate th- this, this evil in the world, man. Like, and I don't know what kind of person this 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 Kenosha cop was outside of that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we all would would certainly not want to be defined by our absolute worst moments in life. Yes. Um, you know, so I, in some ways, I certainly have some sympathy for that man's family. You know, again, I don't I don't know who he is personally, but I I don't. Again, I don't ever want to present myself as being an expert on something that I'm not an expert. Kyle, in. why couldn't they just like grab him? How do you not? It was three of them. Well, okay, okay, see that, but then we go back to the other point. Let me ask you this, because I see the Baltimore Ravens issue that statement a couple of days ago. You saw that, right? I've uh, never no, seen I more. Didn't, okay. I didn't reach it. Okay, so pull that up on your phone if you would. I want you to scan that. So the Baltimore Ravens, um, you know, issued I think one of the most comprehensive 
even if you don't agree with it, it was one of the most comprehensive public statements that I think, if not the most, that I've ever seen from, from a sports team uh, about, you know, what happens and what's happening in America, the reaction to Jacob Blake, you know, what they want as a result of all of this. And, you know, some of those things were policing and uh, funding. and that. But there was one specific thing in here about where they want, uh, where is this? Here it is. Demand that Senator Mitch McConnell bring the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act of 2020 to the Senate floor for vote. End qualifying immunity. Require yep. body cameras, ban chokeholds and no-knock warrants. Hold police accountable in court. Establish a framework to prohibit racial profiling at federal, state, and local levels. There's one thing in there that I do not agree with, and this will not be popular with that side of the debate, but I don't agree with banning chokeholds. And it's a sensitive thing to say because we all watched George Floyd and Eric Garner die saying, I can't breathe. And so that's the sensitive thing. to. S but realistically, practically speaking, if you are asking men and women in uniform to go out there and police and engage sometimes in hostile conflicts with people who are larger than them, well, the chokehold is arguably the most effective way to do that, right? What Derek Chauvin did was evil. It was relentless. And I think it goes without saying uncalled for. Right. But like flat out, ban you're, you're you're you are tying law enforcement's hands behind its back in some way. You know, if someone gets if a police officer gets attacked here and you know has to use a chokehold to subdue a, a, um, a suspect or whoever it may be that's larger than them. Well, in often cases, that might be the best way for them to do that. So that's why I try to be careful. Like, I, I think the Ravens maybe here might have overstepped a little bit. But then again, that's just one slice of this that I might not agree with. But I bring that up and so well, what's wrong with you? How could you be against that? Well, I just think practically speaking, you know, getting the, the, the baptism into, you know, some of the hand-to-hand the -hand combat, uh, you know, strategies and, and situations that I was in a couple of years ago, just learning, that's, I don't think all that practical. So how do, how do you reconcile those things, I guess is what I'm saying. Again, it's a tiny slice of the conversation, but people can't even engage in that conversation right now because it's so emotional. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Um I just, the immunity thing is, is big for me. I think we need to make sure, so then we can hold these police officers accountable and at least have their day in court, right? Yeah. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Absolutely. It's have their day in court. The thing with Breonna Taylor was just awful. For them to come in that house, I mean, who wouldn't shoot? Kyle, if somebody came in your house, no knock, yeah. bust your dope, like, what yeah. would you do, right? Like, yeah. you, would, you have guns in your house, you would probably... Who is this? You say something and you shoot. Like, you don't have time to think. Right. And then they shoot back, kill you, kill your girlfriend. All right, she's dead. And now you look up and like, oh, we were the police coming in here for blah, blah, blah. And I just think the no-knock thing is a big thing as well. Oh, you, yeah. just, you have to be able to announce yourself. I don't understand how that is okay in a sense. Um, and then when something bad happens, everybody's asking for answers, and the answer is not a really a good one or is something that we want to hear. So for me, it's going to be the immunity thing and the no-knock. I understand the chokehold just because I've seen people use chokeholds to kind of defend themselves and also – and if, if we don't want people to shoot them, if you don't want the police officers to shoot right. themselves, shoot them, all right? We don't want them to – we want them to use the tasers. The tasers don't always work. Right. We've seen that. Right. Um, what else is left? But, but it goes back to instead of defunding the police – yeah, I didn't I reallocate the money they have. Stop buying tanks and spend a lot of time <laughs> training these guys on hand to hand combat, right? Yes. Because it doesn't take a lot of common sense to know that that um, you know, applying a chokehold is not something that you should do for longer than, you know, 20, 30 right. seconds right. in right. order to subdue someone, right. right? And so, like, again, if there was enough training on that front, it doesn't take three people to try to wrestle Jacob Blake to the ground, only to let him go and then watch him kind of walk away and then to freak out and, and empty a magazine into his back. I, I, I love what you said and apparently, you know, what your brother feels that this is uh, you have to I think you should double their salaries, mm -hmm. take away their tank money, double their salaries <laughs> and try to attract a much better, higher caliber pool of candidate mm -hmm. to to be out here enforcing the law and policing communities. It's it still blows my mind that it takes, you know, four years of law school and, and a bar exam to be an attorney, to, to be a lawyer but you get six months of training and then you're shoved out the door to police communities as a police officer. And you've never been in these communities. In, in some cases, thing. yeah. A lot of these people have not been in the community, so they don't know the communities that they serve. And my brother was talking about some of the training that he has to go through with some of his jobs, and he's like, look, once you get thrown on that mat a couple of times, it's a game changer. Yes. Right? It changes your mind and your opinion about a lot of these things. And 
the last thing he, he says, the last thing I ever want to do is use this gun. Like, I don't ever want to use this thing. I don't ever. He said, but people are crazy, too. Like, you deal with a lot of madness and crazy people all the time that sometimes they're just pissed off or just don't want to listen. And you just have to learn how to de-escalate the situation because, number one, you want to make it home yourself. And that is what a lot of people don't understand. Every day these police officers go out here and patrol our neighborhoods that their job is to make it home to their family as well. And I just want them to have that same respect for the people that they are supposed to serve and protect is making sure that they make it home as well. Yeah. No, again, that's I, th I think you said it best right there. It's, um, you know, everybody deserves to go home. And, and that's that's part of the issue, too, with the polarization is that some people believe a, they already believe some of the bad reporting or the misinformation mm -hmm. on who he was and, and use that as a justification for a man being you know, shot in the back seven times and, and now paralyzed. It and doesn't. It, it, it's not a death sentence. It should not be a death sentence. Right. And again, people, I, I, so he's not dead. He's not. I, no, but he's likely paralyzed for yeah. the rest of his life to a certain extent. And, and so that's but you have the people that say, well, he was look at his criminal record. Look at who he was. But okay. Breonna Taylor's dead. She's dead. She's not coming back. Right. And oh. that was unnecessary oh. and uncalled for. And, and Ahmaud Arbery's dead. Yeah. You know, and who knows if we would have ever seen that, that video come out if, if somebody hadn't done the right thing. If the video does not come out, th these dudes are still just walking the street. You know, I drove through that neighborhood. You did? Oh, yeah. I had some buddies. I, I've got <laughs> some friends down there that, uh, yeah, and they, they brought me down for a long weekend, and they drove me all through there. And I distinctly remember that area where the, we went through and I watched. And it's just chilling to watch the video. But right. who, who knows what it, how, if we would have ever seen that come out. And then, of course, as everybody points out, imagine all the incidents that haven't been recorded. Right. You know, and that's that's what leaves you wondering what's out there. And I, I get it. You know, people, police officers feel attacked. You and I both agree there are more good people out there trying to do that job than bad people. Mm -hmm. But it's not always about the hearts of the individual. Sometimes it's about the system that spits out bad results. Uh, at uh, the expense of both the officer and, and who's victimized. Yeah, and who is who are we allowing to be police officers? And go up here in six months, now you know you can be a police officer and not only have a gun, but have a badge, you have a power, you have lights on the top of your car that says, you have to listen to me. And I don't think that's always good. No, no, what you said about Kyle Rittenhouse was true too, the 17-year-old the in Kenosha. You know, I, I know there's some evidence out there right now that might suggest what he actually did in shooting those two were, would be technically self-defense. But the fact that he was there in the first place as a 17-year-old armed by his mother, who was also there, you know, looking like a paramilitary trooper. What, she drove him 20 miles across the state line to be there. What I are mean, we doing? What, like, what type of society are we in where now we have these militia groups? Like, what are they doing? And they don't think something's bad going to happen when you're just you're just out here in a hostile environment, not trained not supposed to be there we're not giving you permission to be there and you're walking around with these assault rifles or long guns with and some uh, probably a pistol on you too they don't need permission that's what they'll tell you they, this is america they don't need permission to be there and that is worrisome to me because if if i was a brother doing that walking around with this paramilitary with would i be treated the same you know i understand you know why armed citizens might go stand in front of their own small business this, or a neighbor's own, small uh, business that's i completely a, understand that i, I, I could not you know, that that's at all exactly like i i have friends and i would absolutely if it came I, down I to it I, I would help a friend or a family member defend their business yes. if that's if that's what their livelihood was but that's not what a lot of this is this no. is people out in the streets looking for a fight looking to kill somebody and a lot of these are agitators and and bad actors who you know are either you know, sent in or paid to be there. Like right. this, these things, and that sounds even conspiracy theorist to a lot, but it's not. This stuff happens all over the world. The United <laughs> States government has done that. I was just listening to a, a <laughs> podcast with a former CIA agent who said, you know, we've never done it exactly this way, but we have certainly throughout the history of the CIA, you know, helped facilitate and, you know, infuse the kind of civil unrest in other countries that we're seeing right now in America. Every peaceful protest gets hijacked when it gets to a certain level, a certain large scale. Bad actors, bad agents show so up. Sometimes it's the police officers the inciting a riot. The CIA does not have to abide by certain rules, right? Like, well, I mean, yeah, they do, technically. I mean, I, I watched this one thing uh, not too long ago, and it was about this, uh, this undercover agent that was uh, infiltrating this, uh, the Mexican drug trade deal, and yeah. I guess it was like an inside job. He got killed like back in the 70s and whatever, whatever. But they were saying how some of the rules that the CIA has to abide by is really their main rule is to do what's best in America's interest. So whatever they feel is in within America's best interest, that is what they do. Yes. Now, how they fund themselves or how they do some other things 
that is where yeah. it could really start to shade and really go dark. You're like, well, what? And right. So that is the question, but that's what I'm saying. So the able, the way that they're able to fund different ways outside of the normal ne- governmental uh, factors or streams of income, I, I think that is what I would question. So when I, when I was in grad school, uh, we had a professor in our department who was a retired CIA officer. Mm-hmm. And it, we had, uh, when I at Virginia Tech, they have a partnership with CIA. And so there had been a rotating cast of professors who would come in, they'd stay for two years on an appointment, they'd teach classes, they, and then they would leave. And they'd rotate out, the next guy would come in. Well, this guy was toward the end of his career, and he said, nah, I'm staying here. You know, he was from Virginia. He was like, I'm, nah, I like this. I'm retiring from the CIA. I want to keep this post. And he is, a, uh, again, a former CIA officer. And the things that he taught me in just two classes about the way the federal government has operated and done so in terms of international relations and foreign conflict was fascinating. And there were things that he couldn't tell us, but the things that he did tell us and the things that he could openly imply without getting in trouble about the things that we've been entangled in and the ways in which that we have uh, provoked conflict to our own benefit. You know, this... It's interesting. You know, we have, we have stuck our finger in some things and, and stirred the pot in ways that a lot of people don't realize. And, and none of this that's happening on the streets, it's scary to a lot of people. But, I mean, this is, it's almost like it's out of a playbook in certain ways. We've seen it before. I don't know how much it will calm down after November 3rd, but uh, all I know is we have people that are firmly entrenched on both sides. And I don't know how you bridge the gap at the moment because – even if you think, again, Jacob Blake is one of the worst humans walking the planet, if you think he deserved to be basically almost summarily executed in the street right there in front of his children because he might have been reaching for a knife or because he had the audacity you know, to, to not comply with police officers, I, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to reach you because I, I don't hate you. I don't think you're a bad person necessarily, but I think you're woefully misinformed and wrong on that. Everybody to d- deserves their day in court. Those cops have to bring him down to the ground, man, but before that even gets to that point. Uh, yes, Kyle, I don't have to say anything else after that. You said it all yourself. And when, as a, as a black man, we look at it on the other side and you see different examples of, of some people that don't look like me, they're having their chance and opportunity to be able to be arrested or be taken down or sometimes chased after and, you know, not shot. So it, it's just, um, it's, it's sad. Um, I want us to be better as a country. I want us to be better as people. And I do want to start to try and bridge that gap. And I think it starts with communication. Continue to not only me and you have this dialect and this communication, but now somebody else taking that and then going with it next. And I told somebody the other day um, on TV, because my man PB uh, was asking, like, well, as a white man talking to you, Roman, we're here. I'm white. You're a black man. Like, what can I do? I, I'm hearing you. I'm not only am I hearing you, but I want to be an advocate. And I said, well, one, one plan of action I know you can implement today, tomorrow, whenever, is that inside your circle of people or friends, all right, when you hear something that should not be said or that makes you feel uncomfortable, speak out against it. Don't allow it to happen. Don't allow it to just continue to cipher along and go because he, if he feels comfortable enough to say it in front of you, oh, yeah. he's going to go home and say it too. And now his kids and everybody else in that home, they know it, and then they say it. So that is how you have to continue to snuff out hate, is that if it's not in your immediate circle, you know somebody that knows somebody that does it. So you have to snuff it out and don't allow them to say it. And and that is how – that's something immediate that somebody could do. Yeah, you're right. And and let me go back real quick to something because I know we're going to wrap this up. With the Jacob Blake thing, you know, I talked about nobody knows if he was getting in the car to drive away to reach for the knife. And there were the reports that he told police that he had a knife and maybe even reports that he told him he had a knife and he was going to use it on him. Okay, Doesn't matter to me because, again, I watched a video this morning of a of a of a dude, bald white dude with a goatee and a jacked up truck in Washington state in a conflict with an officer who had a gun pointed at this man's face while he screamed at him that he was an effing pig and would slit his throat and kill him. For, for, for pulling him over, harassing him. And, uh, I saw that video. You saw the video? Yeah. Uh, a man, another, another white guy with a knife walking toward aggressively, wielding a knife. Uh, another white police officer, a female, as she backtracked and walked away from him and, and made the conscious decision not to shoot. And those videos out there are countless right now. So, I, you know, even if he yelled something in the middle of a conflict, I, I don't care. The police have to do their job better than that. Right. You know, and, and please... I, I, to, I just beg people out there because I got this again over the week, too, or throughout the week. You know, black lives matter, blue lives matter. There's no such thing as blue lives, okay? And I, what I mean by that is policing is a profession. 
It's a profession, and it's a noble one, and it's a, a hard one, and it should be respected because it's not for everybody. Not everybody has it in them to run toward danger and gunfire when, when everybody else is running away. It should be respected. But you can take that uniform off. You can go do a different job, okay? You can't change the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate that comparison. I don't, it, it's such a, a simple thing that, that can be corrected. But, again, it's something that people don't really want to think about because it's become such an emotionally charged I've issue. I've never thought about that, Kyle. That's a great point. And, all right. Well, anyway, this is – maybe next time we'll talk sports. <laughs> but I, I, think that, I think we both thought this was probably more important this time. Hey, man, it is, man. You're dropping dimes today, Kyle. I appreciate you as always, man, being who you are, being as open-minded uh, and a forward thinker. Uh, continue to take that to your community. Uh, love you and Camille. You guys are great. Appreciate Thanks. it, man. We'll, uh, we'll do this again next time. We'll, we'll definitely talk some sports. For Roman Harper, I'm Kyle Bailey. We'll talk to you next time.